We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Good Irish blooded. What's up with the regular season completed? What do you think the offensive identity aimed at was? And do you think they achieved it? Mm, uh, if you look at it, the season as a whole, no, they did not. They did not achieve their identity because they were so different in certain games compared to other games. And to me, Ryan, when you have an identity, everything that you do in a game plan is going to be kind of built around that identity. Now the plays are going to be different and the looks will be different and no personnel will be different, but like, this is who we are and this is how we go at you. And if you watch Georgia against Ohio state, they did a lot of different things than what they did against TCU, you know, formationally motions, get certain players and matchups, but the identity of who they are was the same. And to me, this Notre Dame team changed. I will say this. I feel after the last two weeks, we are much closer to Notre Dame looking like what I I think the identity that Jared Parker wants is. But until we see them go do that in uh, the better teams in the schedule, I can't say that that's their identity because if you have an identity, that's who you are all the time. You, It's not your identity against teams that suck, but it isn't. You, you know what I mean? Like, does that make sense, Ryan? Like, I feel like we have a better idea of what the identity is supposed to look like now, but until I see them kind of do that consistently week after week after week, no, I don't think they found their identity. I think I, I think they finally showed what they want it to be, but I need to see you do that against Texas A&M and Florida State and teams like that before I'm ready to say you've achieved your identity. I think identity is created over time, so my answer is no. I don't think that I understand 100% what their identity was because I thought I – so like a four game stretch begin the year where I'm like, okay, I think I understand what they are. And then we got another stretch where I was like, that was completely different than what I thought you were trying to be. And then we've seen another two games where I think that the offensive identity has been a little bit different as well. So I think that it's still a staff that's trying to figure it out a hundred percent. So I think that identity will hopefully be achieved early on next season as far as a, because I mean, I, I really think that there was like three different identities this year. <laughs> like, I, I really, truly believe that. So, no, I don't think that identity has been achieved. And I think that for in order for an identity to be achieved, it has to be over X amount of time against every type of opponent that you're going to play. So, I don't think an identity has been achieved. No, I wouldn't say so. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
This episode of the Irish Breakdown Podcast is brought to you by BetterHelp. We're in the midst of the holiday season, which can bring joy to our lives, but can also bring seasonal blues. This time of the year can be a lot, and it's natural to feel some sadness or anxiety, but it doesn't have to stay that way. Adding something new and positive to your life can counteract some of those feelings. Therapy can be a bright spot in a time of stress or a time of change. It gives you something to look forward to, to make you feel grounded, and to give you the tools to manage everything going on. It's important to learn positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. There are ways to make sure you have the tools to be the best version of yourself. And that's not something that's only for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Find your bright spot this season with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com Irish today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com, H-E-L-P dot com slash Irish. Right. Irish blooded. Without saying who, do you think the, the pick of bowl opponents realistically changes who, if any players opt out of the bowl, if LSU is the opponent? Oh, I, I think I think it'd be foolish to say that it won't factor into the players' minds. Now, will it ultimately change decisions? I don't know the answer to that. But do I think the thought process for Audrick Estime and Joe Walt and Cam Hart and other guys that may consider playing or not, do I think that they do a double take or a second thought if Brian Kelly's the head coach of the team that they're going to play? Absolutely, it's going to impact their decision. Does it ultimately change their decision? I think it only does, Ryan, if they were kind of like on the fence, 50-50, not sure. Like if if Joe Walt, for example, and I hope Joe Walt plays in the bowl game, but I'm just going to use him an example because he's the most obvious first-round pick. If Joe Walt decides tomorrow with his dad and his agent and stuff like that, hey, I'm not playing in the bowl game, and just it's a done deal, I'm not playing. And then it's announced next week that they're playing LSU. He's like, I'm back in, baby. I don't think that happens. If Joe Walt's back and forth and can't decide if he does or doesn't want to play, could playing LSU be a thing that – leads him to that yes it could now my hope is that the precedent that has been started in the past with ronnie stanley with zach martin playing in a bowl game that was a little bit before that happened but ronnie stanley played in an era you know at the very beginning of guys opting out quentin nelson mike mcglinchey absolutely played in the era of guys starting to opt out and they still played and mike mcglinchey played with injuries a little different 2020 because liam eikenberg and those guys of course they were going to play in the bowl game it's a freaking playoff game but offensive linemen have kind of established they're going to play, so I'd like to see Joe Walt play. But if he has decided he's not going to play, playing LSU doesn't change that. If Audrick Estimate decides I'm not playing the bowl game, playing LSU is not going to make him jump back in. I think it only it impacts it if they're just, I'm not sure what I want to do. And then like, okay, yeah, I want to play that team. And it's not just LSU. Like, let's just say, hypothetically, they got Bama. I think that would make some guys rethink, like, I'm going to play against Bama if they're close. Right. But I think LSU would certainly could certainly be a a needle mover if a guy is back and forth on what he wants to do. Yeah, I, I think I think it, it could definitely change things depending. I mean, the, the good thing about Notre Dame is that like there's not a ton of guys that I think are opt out candidates overall. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's like Joe Alt, maybe Audrick Estimate, maybe Sam Hartman, maybe, maybe Cam Hart. I mean, otherwise, is there anybody Cam else Hart that you go with? Me? Yeah. No, no. I mean, Riley Mills and Howard Cross are going to play. I mean, uh, the JD yeah. Bertrand's not going to. The only the the most the most the guy that I would understand it, how I feel about it, right? So let's say you and I both adopt my opinion on sitting out against it. The one guy that I would make an exception for is Cam Hart. Yeah, because of his injury history. Like I, Cam, listen, we got to have a conversation. Like, look, dude, you got through this year healthy. Do we really want to take a chance of something happening? The because the way, and partly because the way Cam plays, he's so physical and he's going to hit and he's going to come downhill. Do you really want to take a chance of 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 you getting injured again? That's the only one that, even in my stance, right? If you and I adopt for this conversation, my stance on guys sitting out, that's the one guy more than any other that I would be like, hey, man. We need to think this because he does have a proven injury history. Joe Walt doesn't. Audric Estime doesn't. You know, um, Sam Hartman doesn't. So that would be one that that to me would actually make the most sense. But I also, knowing Cam, could see him basically being like, 
I want to play. And then the adults in the room got to be like, okay, let's, let's, let's talk, let's talk through this cam. Let's really, you know what I mean? Um, But, but I, and I I think most of these guys instincts are going to be, I want to play. And then you sit down with the people you trust and then you just, you take their guidance. But I think most of these kids are going to want to play. doesn't mean they're going to choose to play. I just think that's their instinct. Like Sam Hartman saying, I got two more games left after Wake. I think in his mind that he absolutely thought about playing the bowl game. Now, does that mean that when he sits down with his agent and his family that they may decide to do something different? That that could be true. But I think his gut reaction was like, Of course I'm playing. Does that make sense, Ryan? Right? Like do you get you get like me? I think I'd, that I'd happens be, more I'd than be, than I'd be surprised if Sam Hartman didn't play in the bowl game. Yeah. I'll just leave it at that. I would too. But my, my point was simply that I think he wants to play. I think most sure. of these kids want to play. It's right. just the people that they trust convince them that it's best not to. Right. And that's what it boils down to. All right. Next question. Another one from Irish blooded. What does it matter what the offense is ranked or records it breaks? If it isn't beating the best opponents on the schedule, because it shows progress because Notre Dame hasn't been beating the best opponents on the schedule for years, right? It shows progress at the end of the day. We have said this a million times. You get judged by what you did against Ohio state and Clemson and Louisville, teams like that, flat out. But here's the thing, and here's the reason it matters and why it's relevant to this conversation, because you all just want to fire a guy because he lost those three games. And maybe at the end of the day, someday, that is that is enough of a reason to fire a certain coach. But my point is, do you really want to – good luck hiring a coach next year who's going to say, I got to come in and I could set all these records, but if we lose these two games – because of me, you're going to fire me? Like, really? Like, you guys don't understand how that impacts coaching. It, it Coaching decisions. It absolutely does. My point is simply to say, we can all acknowledge the fact that what they did in the biggest games isn't good enough. You know who else acknowledged that fact today, Ryan? Marcus Freeman. Do you know who else wholeheartedly believes that? I can assure you with 100% certainty that Jared Parker, if he is anything worth uh, worth anything as a coach and didn't get to a place where he could be at Notre Dame because he's perfectly content with just mediocrity, I'm just glad I have a job. No, he's not happy about it either. They're aware of that. But you also shouldn't ignore the fact that, guys, this team did things that we've never seen a Notre Dame team do in our lifetime. Was it good enough? No, no. I don't think anyone in this chat believes it was good enough, but to just ignore it, like if they lost, if they went nine and three, Ryan, and they beat NC State twenty four to twenty one, and beat Wake Forest thirty one to ten, and beat Stanford thirty four to to sixteen, and and beat Navy, you know, thirty four to to seven. I'm not having the same feeling about the offense right now. Cause I'm like, you're just as bad as you've always been, you know? But the fact is, is in one area, things didn't get better. They didn't. Now, actually the points per game against those teams is actually better than offensively than what we've seen in past years in those big games. But I don't care if it was better. It wasn't good enough. They scored more points against Ohio state this year than they did last year. Don't care. Cause they lost both times. But you also can't ignore the fact that guys, there's a lot of games where this offense is like, if you could do that there, then we're going, we got that now we're cooking. And so, yes, that matters. That absolutely matters. But if you kind of were just the same team you've always been and there was no improvement, no growth, no change, that's going to give you a much different perception on whether or not a guy is Trent taking things in the right direction in his first year. Right. So Jared Parker lost big games. Name me an, an offensive coordinator at Notre Dame that didn't oversee offenses that lost all the best, biggest games against the best opponents and didn't score. Nate, when was the last time that was true? When Lou Holtz was calling plays, maybe? Like, I mean, that's always been true. So did he improve in other areas to where hopefully they can do enough to change those things next year? In a lot of ways, I think so. In some ways, I still have questions. I still have doubts, and everyone should. But in other ways, I'm like, guys, you can't ignore that. You can't ignore that, 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 and that. Right. You just, you just can't, in my opinion. Yep. It's about progress. So now the next step is you've now answered the call of beating the the lower tier teams on your schedule by a lot, dominating them. Now the next question is, can you do it against the big competition? And right. If we're sitting here this time next year, and the answer has been still, still been no, then. 
eyebrows yeah. have to raise much higher, you know, Absolutely. as far as like, I don't know if this is right, man. I don't know if this is the right direction you're going to go into. Absolutely. Just- I mean, last year, Ryan, they beat Cal who sucked by a touchdown. They beat BYU who was mediocre by eight. Stanford went three and nine last year. They lost by two. They beat UNLV by 23. That means Notre Dame beat USC this year and by more than they beat UNLV last year. They beat Syracuse by 17. They beat Clemson by 21. They had two non-offensive touchdowns. They beat Navy by three. They had one game like this last year, Boston College by 44. That One game like this year. This year, they're playing those same equivalent of those teams and they're blowing them out. That's progress. Is it good enough? No. No one's arguing it's good enough. I'm simply trying to get you guys to understand, but you also need to be able to recognize that there is progress being made. And to Ryan's point, if the same things are happening next year and in 2025, then guess what? It doesn't matter. Because at the end of the day, you're evaluated on what you do in the biggest moments when you're at Notre Dame. Simple as that. Like, you know why a lot of people don't ever talk about the fact that Lou Holtz had some terrible losses during his career, like losing to five and six Stanford in 1991? Do you know why? Because he won almost every big game he ever played. Right. I mean, that that's what they remember because that's ultimately what you're judged on. Like, do you, how many people talk about the fact that Eric Parsegian got, got dominated by USC? They don't talk about it. Why? Because he still won championships. He won all the other big games. And then when he needed to in championship years, they were able to beat USC enough to go out and win championships because you're, you're evaluated on what you do in the biggest moments. We had Nicholas Grosh who said the chat during the Stanford game was great. To hear live comments in real time was informative. I am on a text chain during games, but we are just average fans with no real football knowledge. I'm glad you enjoyed it. That was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. All right. We got Pete Weber. What's up, Pete? What would you guys personally do if you were the head coach to try and fix the slow starts on the road? Do you feel like it's more motivational, pregame type improvements, or more schematic elements? Honestly, Ryan, I'm curious your thoughts on this. I think it has more to do with your preparation. I don't really think it's schematic. I think it's more about preparation. I think it's more about mental focus. I don't, I don't, when I go back and break down the games, like, like Duke, for example, Notre Dame actually came out against Duke very aggressive. I mean, they took two deep shots on the first drive of the game, right? They took the shot up the seam to to Mitchell Evans. They threw the post route to Tobias that was just off by a hair. I, I, but it was it was that it's it's it was that it was the execution wasn't good. Well, I think execution comes down to preparation. So there's some kind of disconnect between what they do preparation wise, but then also with the travel and the focus and being locked in on the road in the hotel. You know, pregame being in an, in an uncomfortable environment. There's just there's things along those lines that there's something happening there. I don't quite know what it is that's causing them to just not be as fired up and is focused to execute at a high level on the road. I don't know. And, and, and at first, I mean, we talked last week, Ryan, is it just good defenses or is it road? And we thought Stanford would kind of answer that question for us because the, the three true, true road games they played were all against teams that were pretty good on defense, Louisville, Duke, and, and uh, Clemson. Well, we got our answer because they came out, and I would argue this was the sloppiest performance they had on the road was this game with all the turnovers. Uh, and and just blown coverages and things like that. Like, could you imagine what the Louisville game would have looked like or the Duke game would have looked like if Notre Dame would have come out in the first half in those games and played like they did against Stanford? Like, with all yeah. the turnovers, it, it got ugly. So, it's a road thing. You know, yes, there are good defense issues that need to be – but there's also a road issue that needs to get addressed, and they've got to figure out what that is. Because if you look at their – and you go back to their last couple road games the year before – you know, blew a big lead against Navy and got beat by USC. So it's it's a pattern that even kind of goes into a little bit into last year, um, in my opinion. So they started off well, right? Yeah. I mean, North Carolina win and, and Syracuse win, but there, there's an issue there. So I think it's a preparation thing, Ryan. I don't think that it's a motivation or a scheme thing, in my view. It's got to be a preparation issue because, I mean, to your point, like the – Stanford game, our most recent evidence, it wasn't a scheme issue because I actually liked a lot of what they did on the offensive side of the football when they got into their, you know, to the the crux of the game. And then defensively, they've been good all year. So 
whatever reason, I, I wish I had a better answer for you, Pete, because I mean, I, this is an answer that I think really needs more of like, what are they doing on the road in preparation, right? Like, what does the travel schedule look like? What are they doing the night before a football game? You know, what are they doing kind of leading up to pregame and doing all that type of stuff? But my immediate impulse, yes, is that it is a preparation issue. It has to be. For whatever reason, there is bad turnovers, slow starts. I, I, that has to be a preparation issue. There has to be. So I, I think that that's the most reasonable explanation. And I'm a big person of like the most reasonable thing is usually the right thing, right? So I think that that is definitely where I would lean to, but I would be really wish I could just be like a fly on the wall of like what a game day or what a two day set going into a, a road game looks like for Notre Dame. Cause there there's something there. There's no doubt about that. We have Shamrock Sean. Thank you so much for the question. Angeli looks viable for next season. The defensive line needs improvement. Who fills Cam Hart's shoes? Oh, there's a lot of questions here. Okay. So um, let's go. Angeli looks viable for next season is his first comments. We'll I just I never put a lot of stock. I, look, I liked what Steve Angeli did, but I just never put. I, and I've said this for years. I don't ever put a lot of stock on what a guy does when he comes in off the bench in the third, fourth quarter. I just there's no pressure. It's a different situation. It's just it's a whole different pressure when it's every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You're the guy. The pressure's on you. You've got to answer all the questions. Um, did he show that he's got some physical tools that you like? Sure, he did. I mean, I'm not going to overreact to how well he played. Just I'm not going to overreact to the inter- terrible interception he threw on Saturday. I'm not going to overreact to any of them. You know, it's it's he's a young kid. Um, I, I just I think we need to hold off on just kind of handing him the starting job next year. Yeah. Uh, Cam Hart shoes Ryan. I mean, I defensive I think, line needs improvement. Was yeah. the next one? Defensive oh, D line improvement. Yeah. I mean, Viper needs improvement, like from a production yeah. perspective. But like, in, if I get the same interior defensive line play that I got this year, I'm pretty dang happy. If I got Javante yeah. Jean Baptiste esque production at a big end spot, I'm pretty happy. I mean, so I think I think production from a full scope needs to be better. They need to be a little bit more disruptive, especially against the pass. But I'd say the Viper position is one for me, Shamrock Sean. That I would say like the Viper position has to be a lot better next year. There's no doubt. If you look at the big end position, Ryan, the two big ends combined for 15 tackles for loss this season. That's really good. Like that that that's really good and they combined for seven sacks. That like if you put all of most of that into one player, you're you're feeling pretty good about that position. You go look at last year and the big end produced six and a half, let's see here, six and a half tackles for loss or six and a half sacks and let's see six the top two guys nine and a half tackles for loss. Like big jump in production this year, in in my opinion, absolutely. So no, I'm I'm I would take that. I think vi- the Viper position to me, Ryan, has sort of the lack of production there has soured some people on the view of the entire defensive line. When yeah. in reality, three of the four positions were really good, yeah. really good. Um, I mean, your backup. Think about this: your backup D to D big end had almost identical stats to your starting big end last year. Nana had five and a half tackles for loss and three sacks. Riley Mills was a starter last year. He had six tackles for loss and three sacks. Yep. That's your backup. That's that's very good production. You know, Viper needs to get a lot better. Yep. Who fills Cam Hart's shoes? Christian Gray seems like the most viable option, but we shall yeah. see what that competition I mean, Technically, like. right now, the number one backup is Cam Hart. I mean, is Jaden Mickey. But I, I don't think that necessarily is going to be true for next year. I, I think I would I'll say it again. I would love to see Jaden Mickey move inside of the nickel and replace Thomas Harper. He's a to me could be quite good there. And then Christian Gray is going to be a star. I mean, he yeah. I'll, I'll say this, Ryan. If Christian Gray would have played as much this year as Benjamin Morrison did last year, I think he would have had a very similar season. Like not, I don't know about like no stats and I mean just as far as when we watch film we're like that kid's really freaking good he's gonna be a special yeah. player. It just the thing is there just wasn't the opportunity there because the two kids ahead of him are really freaking good. You know what I mean? So it's not I'm not complaining that oh the coaches should have played him more. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm simply saying the circumstance this year was different last year. Benjamin Morrison had to beat out Clarence Lewis last year and he did. Christian Gray's not beat. I don't care who you could take any freshman corner in the country and they're not beating out Cam Hart and Benjamin Morrison. It's not happening. Don't care who it is. And and so I'm not saying he should have played more, but had he been forced to for whatever reason, I'm absolutely feel he would have been a freshman All-American at Notre Dame. No doubt in my mind. 
no doubt in my mind. So who will I be think a he's transfer, really special. Transfer target needle mover for the transfer portal. I mean, uh, wait till yeah. I didn't know that. Well, we'll we'll discuss we'll discuss that at a different time. And if you if you want to ask specifically about an, a player, we'll talk about that player. And who will be yeah. the new OC? The new OC at Notre Dame in 2024 is going to be a guy named Jared Parker. Bobby S says, any young guys pop up, pop in mop up duty? Any or and any rumblings about young guys in practice? We'll talk about the young guys in practice later, Ryan. But mop up duty, I, I, I mean, I, I think we talked about this after the game. I thought Drake Bowen looked really good, like just athletically looked really good, and I thought Preston Zinter moved pretty well in those those uh, as well. He played in that game. A guy that's impressed me all season in mop up duty has been a Don Schuler. I really like how he moves around, and then a guy we were just talking about, Christian Gray. I think those four guys, to me, more than any others, really stood out. You could maybe talk about Bubakar and his limited snaps looked pretty impressive, but those guys play a little bit more. Uh, you know, Drake, Christian, and Adon play a little bit more, and they all three really impressed me with what yeah. I saw of them moving around. Drake Bone was the first one that popped, especially against Stanford, where you're just like, yep, that guy's going to be pretty good probably. Just... Oh, Devin Houston, too, uh, when you saw him pop a little bit. He looked Fake. pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Mark E. Stewart, what is your take on our offensive line coach? I think it's critical that we continue to develop top offensive linemen. Are we good here? Uh, look, I I um I feel better about Joe Rudolph today than I did yeah. two weeks ago. Sure. And I understand the opponents weren't good, but it, like I said, it was how they played. Not not how they played as far as they dominated bad teams, but how they played together. They moved their feet better. They were using their hands better as a, as a, as a group. That was encouragement. It it wasn't good enough. Like the rest of the offense, it just wasn't good enough. But, you, you know, to me, he's got enough of a track record at Wisconsin. We saw enough moments. Like here's the thing. You talk about, you know, guys got to step up in big games. I thought his offensive line played really well against Ohio State. I did. I thought the Notre Dame offensive line came to play in that game. That's a good – those are things I can point to and say, okay, let's build on that, right? And so, yeah, you. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what he's going to do in year two. And, and even if I didn't – he would have had to be pretty bad for me to say, don't bring him back for year two because the idea of having a fourth O-line coach in four years is just no. Mm-mm. No, that's tough, man. You need continuity. Continuity can't be as an excuse for not making tough decisions, but it also can't be ignored. It, there's merit to to continuity. There really is. Yeah. And he did enough for me, recruiting wise and coaching wise, Ryan, to say, hey, let's see what this guy can do in year two when he gets a full off season with these kids. I think like most coaches, there was some good and there was some puzzling and and some struggles right at times. I mean, I. I I personally think, and I don't know if you agree with this, but I think Joe Alt took a nice step this year. You know, as far as from a run game perspective, I thought Joe Alt was a much better run blocker in 2023 than he was in 2022. That shows that someone had to be working with him, right? Like somebody had to be working yeah. with him. I think he's still got some young guys ready to play when they finally got their their call to play. So I, I think that there's been some positives. Was it good enough? Yes. No, it wasn't. It was not good enough, but I still think there are some positive signs in there of, of a year or two. I think that the offensive line is going to play at a much higher level as, as far as the players coming back regards to their personal expectations. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early. So everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The regular season is over, but that doesn't mean shopping for tickets has come to an end. Notre Dame still has a big bowl game coming up. It's also holiday season, which means plenty of amazing concerts and shows. And you'll need tickets, especially if you're a last-minute shopper like me. And if you are in need of tickets, game time is the place to go. With killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you'll have. Forget planning months in advance. Game time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. 
Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball games, concerts, comedy shows, theaters, and more. The Game Time Guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section or and row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. It's the fastest growing ticket app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Buy tickets in a matter of seconds, two taps, and you're set. Tickets are sent directly to your phone so you never have to dig through your email. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code IRISH for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code IRISH for $20 off. Download the Game Time app today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. That's gametime.co. I got a I got a laugh here. A guy that um a guy in the chat right now is just kind of just going on an emotional tirade about the offensive coordinator. And I believe somebody oh, asked T- him Is it TJ? Is it TJ? Yeah, and I just I, put him on I, I've been timeout. I've been putting him in time I've been putting him in yeah. timeout. I probably put him in timeout like 15 times to yeah. show it. I don't think he caught the um, joke there. It, yeah, I think it's but he, somebody asked him I believe who he would like to see be the offensive coordinator. Yeah, I know I saw. And did you see his answer? Kevin Johns of Kevin Duke. John, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he wants he, he wants Kevin Johns what? and Riley Leonard to come over apparently. It's, what? It's, it's, okay, it's, Riley it's, Leonard sure, Kevin Johns yeah. uh no. Like <laughs> Good lord! Yeah, oh, I, w- I would have a much different list of offensive coordinator candidates. Yes, and he would not be right. on it. Uh, yeah. Insured by Big, appreciate this. Not a question, but just wanted to say thanks for all for the season long content. Not the season both programs wanted, but futures bright would be fun to play in a bowl, even though uh, key players won't play. Insured by Big is an LSU fan who's been with us all year and has been a really good poster. So we appreciate you very very much. Um, one of the few LSU posters we didn't have to ban because he's a really good contributor to our board. So yeah. we really, really, really appreciate that, obviously. All right. We got DJ Holman. DJ, I haven't seen you in a while, man. What's going on? A fun one. Who would be the six players in the current roster to be on your dodgeball team? Oh, man. I actually played on some dodgeball teams, man. I was a pretty yeah. good dodgeball player. So. Well, you got to at least have one quarterback. I'm going Kenny Minchie because I need that guy that can, you know, change arm angles, right? Um, I need, uh, I need a quick guy. So like, I'm probably putting Jordan phase on, on my, on my dodgeball team. Uh, you just talk about a guy that's a freaky. I mean, I just kind of feel like if I just want like these really freaky athletes on my team, I'm looking like, okay, George, Josh Burnham and who's a former quarterback and Drake Bowen, those guys got to be on my team as well. Uh, I mean, those are just some that kind of pop off the top of my head. Uh, when I think about dodgeball teams, right? Um, cause you don't want like, you don't want like Joe Walt, right? Cause he's going to be an easy target. You don't like Blake Fisher cause they're going to be easy targets. Riley Mills cause be easy targets. You want guys that have a little bit of, a little bit of athleticism to them. So. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, you need a combination of arms and good athletes that are good Dodgers, yeah. right? Like you need those types yeah. of guys. So, I mean, I would yeah. almost take the whole quarterback room. I mean, honestly, like yeah. you know, I would take because you. I mean, you used to play six versus six. So, give me yeah. Angeli Hartman and um, yeah, and, Minchie, and then uh, the reason the reason I would only take one of them because I I look at some of the guys that are like maybe a little bit better athletes that have throwing like Drake Bowen was a really good baseball player. You know, he can throw. Sure. Right. Josh yeah. Burnham was a former quarterback. No, can throw a little bit more twitchy athletically. Uh, so, but no, I mean, if you're going to take quarterbacks, that makes sense, obviously, because what's one of the biggest yeah. important things of a playing dodgeball? Throwing throw the, the dodgeball. Got to throw the ball. And then I would, um, I would take former high school quarterbacks. You mentioned Jordan Faison would be yeah. one of them. I would take Drake Bowen because of his baseball background. Sure. Josh Burnham. Josh Burnham, I guess, makes some sense. Even though he's kind of a bigger guy, so I don't know if I would 100% want him. But he's but... athletic. Yeah. Sure. Sure. He's athletic. Yeah. I'm he's trying. So Who are some other quarterbacks? Uh, um, so that's, that's the issue with Mitchell Evans, right? Is Mitchell Evans a former quarterback too, but he's a really big target. He's also on you know? coaches right now. So, yeah. If he was healthy for well, in our fantasy right dodge, now. in our Come fantasy right dodgeball now. league, our fantasy dodgeball league, we can magically, Mr. Miyagi, heal the knee uh so yeah here's a question for you ryan adam blair says are we still recruiting that stud running back from louisiana james simon uh i was just curious 
Yeah, no, Notre Dame's still recruiting him. I mean, they made a really nice impression on him when he made it up for his first visit to Notre Dame. I thought before that it was like, that's not going to happen, right? And you also have two running backs already committed in the 2025 class. So, Adam, there's you know some numbers questions that need to be answered ultimately, but Notre Dame is still recruiting James Simon. They still have contacts, so we'll see what happens with that one. Another question here, Ryan. This one is uh, a, a Irish for Life is a also a Indiana fan as well as a Notre Dame fan. He says, "Who would be a good coach for Indiana to hire?" Um, hold, hold it. Got uh, got my like in. Holding as best as I can. God bless you and IB and you at IB and all IB Nation. So my guy Irish for Life is also going through some tough, uh, some physical times, some health times right now. So we're definitely praying for you there, buddy. But uh, who who would be some good hires, Ryan? I haven't seen a lot of names mentioned, but one name that has been surprisingly absent from all those lists has been Dino McCullough. It surprises me a yeah. little bit. But who would you who would you look at and say would be you know, guys no that idea. would be on your list if you're the AD? <laughs> No idea. I need to do a little bit more research on that one. I, I honestly don't even have. What about a type? How about this? Right. How about a type? Cause like to me with these type of jobs, I'm always like, go find some group of five guy or some FES guy. That's really creative and can, and, and can put an offense on the field that can score. Cause that's the only hope you have, you know, like a name that pops in my head. I don't know a lot about him as a coach, but like I look at what Tyson Helton has done at Western Kentucky and he's, you know, that kind of, air raidish type of offense that can go score some points if you want to win at indiana you're not going to do it playing ground and pound and running the football and playing defense you're gonna to have to score yeah well i i think i think i would i would definitely target a younger coach offensive minded because i mean i'm usually a big fan of if whatever didn't work the last time let's do something a little bit differently and tom tom allen was obviously a very respected and a good person, but he was an older coach and kind of had that old aura to him. So I think going a little bit younger and a little bit more enthusiastic, getting that offense going. Cause right now that offense is absolutely terrible. I actually think, mm. I think that you can turn around the Indiana defense pretty quickly as far as in that league, right? Like it's not like you're playing a bunch of great offenses in the, in the big 10 on a week to week, on a year to year basis. I mean, I know USC and UCLA are coming in next year, right? So like, it's a little bit different moving forward, but Ultimately, mm-hmm. I think the defense could be a little bit easier of a turnaround. I think an offensive-minded young head coach would be where I would personally go. So same page then, right? Because I was talking about like a Tyson Helton. I don't know his youth, and but like a guy like that. So yeah, Something like um, that, yeah. energetic and all yeah. that good stuff. I'll let you answer this one, Ryan. Um, Will Rogers to Notre Dame thoughts? <laughs> no. Answers no. I, I don't really even want to put analysis to it, to be honest. And it's just uh, not a fit, Ryan. He's not yeah. talented, and it's not a fit. Yeah, yeah. he's an air raid quarterback. You People do not are, the you know what raid. it is. In fairness to fans, in fairness to them, you know what? They, they they haven't watched Mississippi State much. They just look at the yeah. numbers, and sure. I and I and I get it. I do. I get it. I would just say, look at this year's numbers when he wasn't playing in an air raid, and that's more indicative of Will Rogers' talent yeah. level than what he did playing under Mike Leach. If Notre Dame's going to go for a a experienced quarterback that's going to come here and compete for a starting job. I want it to be a guy that has a get out of jail free card, whether that is a bazooka for an arm, whether that is a great athlete that can create some things outside of structure. I want a guy that has something to him as far as that. Will Rogers can be fine if everything's perfect, right? He can be Mm -hmm. fine, but don't ever be great for one, if everything's perfect and it'll never be great on his own at times. I want someone that when things break down or things aren't perfect, they can make the imperfect perfect at times. That's what I want. Get get out of jail free card as a player that I want. All right. Here is one from A-Bent. A-Bent says, is the current situation and vibe in the receiver room currently close to how it dire it became after the 2021 season? It feels like it has been an issue for eight years and new coaches can't change it. It's not as dire, but it's getting there, which means there's going to need to be some changes to how the day-to-day is run. And so, yeah, it's getting there. It's getting there. And that's one of the risks you run when you hire a guy that's never coached football for, for very long is you got to learn. You got to be able to teach it. You can know the guy. I mean, Chancey Stuckey absolutely knows the ins and outs of playing wide receiver. But can he relate to players in a way? And he's a very decent human being. He's a very good man. But can you connect with players and relate to players and teach players? That's a different story. And that's been a bit of an issue this season and last. 
in my 2021 you also had no numbers and you had no development at wide receivers well the the point is is you lost numbers because a bunch of kids left because of the position coach i think that's the concern uh so that's why i say it's it's not there yet to your point ryan it's not there yet but it if it doesn't get addressed in some way shape form or fashion it will get there it will get there all right, some of these questions are kind of repeats uh, of kind of what we've done in the past. Uh, here, here's an interesting one. Zach, 32. Thank you, Zach. Since Jared Parker is staying, how much confidence do you have that the rest of the offensive staff will remain intact for next year? Without naming names, do you think there should be personal changes? I'm not going to say whether I think there should be personnel changes. I, I, I'll say this. I don't expect – look, I highly doubt that the staff in its entirety of 10 assistants comes back as is. I I think there'll be some changes, whether that means guys leave for jobs that they get, whether that means, you know, Marcus Freeman thinks that they can upgrade. I mean, look, I promise you if Marcus Freeman feels he can upgrade a position, he'll, he'll, he'll strongly consider making that change. If Al Golden leaves, you know, I mean, there were several guys that got Chris O'Leary got pursued by the NFL teams last year. I fully expect that to happen again. You know, because the one thing about Chris O'Leary is he's a pretty good position coach, uh, you know, as far as teaching the position. And when you think about what he's working, he finally, Ryan, it's like in his three years, he finally gets a guy in the last two years that has like NFL physical talent. And that guy dominates, right? It's not a coincidence. I mean, part of that's on Xavier, but I think part, you got to give Chris O'Leary credit for that. They're not going to care that he doesn't recruit. Like they do not care in the NFL. Will he be pursued again? I would imagine so. Will he leave? I have no idea. You know, our team's going to come after Mike Mickens. Yeah, they will. NFL teams, college teams are going to come after Mike Mickens. Will he leave? I don't know. There will be a lot of Notre Dame coaches that get pursued by people this year. Will they leave or not? I don't know the answer to that. Um, Dylan McCullough has not hidden the fact he wants to be head coach. Will some team give him a chance to finally be that? I have no idea. I'd be really shocked if they don't have some departures from this current staff. I don't think it's going to be a ton, but I fully expect there to be some departures from the current staff. And there usually is. I mean, what program just maintain coaches every single year? Like that just doesn't. Notre matter. Dame pre twenty sixteen. Right, right. <laughs> well, I mean, even like even like Clemson, who w- was like very good with keeping offensive and defensive coordinators there for a long time. It was like they're still losing position coaches, right? Like they're right. still losing those types of guys. You, right. It's hard to just maintain a staff every single year, man. It's hard. Yep, it is. All right, Curtis Hewitt. Thank you, Curtis. It's been a long time since I was able to catch a live show. Happy you're here. If you could match up two former national championship teams from any school and era, which teams would you pick? I think, Ryan, you and I, I believe, were asked this over the summer. And my answer of my era, I would have loved to have watched the 2019 LSU team offense against the 2000, was it 2001 Miami defense? Like, I would have loved to have watched that. So 1999 LSU against 2001 Miami. That would be a phenomenal game. Those are probably the two best teams I've seen in my lifetime as well. So that's probably, I mean, that's be boring, but that would probably be my, I mean, I've never seen a a roster as talent rich as what Miami had in 2001. Like literally a team could have stolen their third stringers and probably competed for a conference championship or potentially national championship. Like it was dumb. Mm -hmm. I mean, they had like, their running back room was like the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. They had like Clinton Portis, Frank Gore, Willis McGahee, Jared Payton, Najee Davenport. It's like, dude, what are, what are we doing here? Like, why is it that deep? doesn't make any sense. So 2001 Miami would hundred percent be there. And I've never seen an offense like nine, like, uh, like 2019 LSU. Just haven't seen it. Ryan. And, and, and my, my answer to not, not response. Cause you're not disagreeing with me, but like, that's part of the reason because I haven't seen many secondaries like the Miami 2001, 2021 football team. Like that's, that's what makes it like, so it would be so much fun to watch. You know, when, when you just look at how loaded that Miami team was in the secondary, I mean, Antrell Roll, Mike Rumpf, Kelly Jennings, Sean Taylor, uh, Philip Buchanan, I mean, that team was absolutely loaded in the secondary. Like, I, Now, here's the thing. I'll say this. I would love to see that game played in, 2000, in, in 2001 rules because otherwise you just take Sean Taylor out of the game because he'll, he'll get targeting in the first quarter, right? But 2001 rules when football was football, that would be a phenomenal game because 
of, of there aren't many receiving cores that you could look at right and say they could do damage against that secondary. That 2019 LSU receiving court could because you can't stop all three of them. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, and then if you try to, okay, Thaddeus Moss is running seam routes. I mean, that that those two teams are so talented, man. Yeah. Now, here, here's my thing. I'd probably, I'd probably pick Miami, yes. to win in a close game because I think Miami's offense against that LSU defense, which was good but not great, would be able to do some work as well. Like, yeah, they were pretty good on offense as well back then, Ryan. They were. I I, yeah. I might pick the 2002 Ohio State Buckeyes. Not. <laughs> Sorry, Archer. <laughs> that was a really good Buckeyes team, but no. No, it was a great Buckeyes team, but yeah. yeah. I mean, they had to cheat to win that game, but otherwise, uh, Tyler <laughs> Evans with the super chat. What did you Just think of the Apple Cup and the Iron Bowl? The Apple, I mean, the Apple Cup was a really, that was a really um, competitive football game, man. I mean, Washington State, like their passing game, really kept them in that football game for a long time. Washington, it took them a while to. I mean, they really never even got clicking. It was just kind of a really blah game from Washington overall. It was a competitive game. I expected it to be a competitive game. I expected Washington to beat Washington State as well, which they ended up doing. I didn't think it was quite going to be as close as, as it was, but that's a game that, like, you know, rivalry games always happen like this, right? Like, they always happen. That Auburn-Alabama game, I watched some of the highlights because we were live when we were, like, that game was happening. Game was weird, man. That was a weird, weird football game between Alabama and Auburn. I still don't know how Alabama won that game, but that's, uh, yeah. Agree. I didn't Benami. How has Billy Schraff looked so far? Am I crazy to think that Kedron Young might take the second, maybe third running back spot next year? Wouldn't be I thought Billy, I thought, yeah, I, well, let's just go there, right? W- w- yeah. Am I predicting it? No, because he's going to have to beat yeah. out some pretty good players. I'm definitely not predicting number two, barring injury, but could he be number three and maybe beat out Jabron, beat out Jabron Payne? It's possible. It's really possible. I, he's a very talented running back. We we had Daniel Anderson on this podcast recently, and he talked a lot about how Dylan McCullough really specifies roles for players in a running mm-hmm. back room and what their what their what their role is to this offense. I could hundred percent be even if you don't want to double him like running back two or running back three to your question item. Like if Kedron Young is like your short yardage goal line back as a freshman, would I be shocked? Absolutely yeah. not. I would not be shocked at all about that. I think he, I think he has the potential to have a role in year one. I you're think. not redshirting him there's no no point in redshirting Kedron Young none just like I said back in 2019 there was no point in redshirting Aeneas Williams or not Aeneas Williams excuse me Kyron Williams because my whole point was if Kyron Williams is a good enough player to be a starter for you someday he's not going to be a five-year player so you redshirted him and got two years out out of him instead of three if there was ever going to be a fifth year running back who would it have been Ryan Tony Jones Jr. Uh, easy and he left after yeah. his senior year right like he's a running back just, yeah. right. <laughs> right you're just not yeah. going to keep a running back for five years so there's no point yeah. in redshirting him so find a role for key even if it's only it, 25 carries a game just that kid needs to play because he's really freaking good if you have to um, keep a running back for five years too he's probably not that good the only way you keep a guy for five years is if he has an injury history but he right. gets the red shirt anyway because of the injuries. Like that's the, you know what I mean? Because of so he would have get that in. There's no point in red shirting a running back, in my opinion. No. Unless it's a kid, Ryan, that's like you took a flyer on a kid, you discussed during his recruitment, he's undersized, he's not physical. I mean, you know, maybe in that weird scenario, but that that's not the kind of guy that Notre Dame's gonna get in most right. That's the kind of guy that you get at like bowling green. And we love this kid, but he's 150 pounds. And so we need to get him a year in the weight room first because he might be a five-year guy. That doesn't happen in Notre Dame. The kids that they're recruiting, like if you if you recruit a guy that you think is a five-year player, probably you shouldn't be recruiting him at Notre Dame. Unless that's your goal. Hey, this is a this is a, a depth player, a role player, a glue guy that is going to be perfectly fine being the number three running back for five, you know, maybe, but that ain't Keedron Young. Yeah. <laughs> that ain't and Keedron Young. Honestly, like Aeneas Williams is going to play on kick and punt coverage for me next year too. Like I'm not yeah. redshirting him either because that kid is a really good safety on the high school yeah. level too. Like he can run down and cover yeah. a kick, man, 100. percent And I'm like, letting him try out as my punt returner and kick returner. I'm letting him try out there too and see if he can beat guys out there. I mean, you're gonna have a lot of athletes on the offensive side of the ball next year, man. A lot of athletes. First part of the question: How did Billy Shrouth look so far? I mean, look, there are there were redshirt freshman issues with Billy in the last two games, right? I mean. 
you know, a couple times taking bad angles of the football, you know, a couple times being late with his hands, a couple times not moving his feet. There's always there's stuff like that. Ashton had some of those. Ashton, when Ashton got beat on Saturdays, because he would hit you and stop his feet. Like that, that he'd get knocked back in pass pro because he'd stop his feet on contact. But then there are other times when he'd come out and move his feet and drive drive guys off the ball. So it's like cleaning up some of that technical stuff, assignment stuff. But physically, I thought they both looked great. I thought Billy looked really good. I mean, he he gets up to the second level way faster than anybody they've had the last really couple seasons, athlete. really. Uh, yeah. Pulls really well, and he's powerful. You know, like there's a couple times, like the other thing, too, I was impressed by both him and Ashton is they understood more so than the previous guards. I got to get to this guy's outside shoulder. I got to get to this guy's outside shoulder or inside shoulder if you're backside. And they would really work to get there. And Billy's so quick, Ryan, that he can engage you down the middle and then still work outside of you. And it was really impressive. So were there young guy mistakes? Were there mistakes that I would be more critical of him than I would, you know, where I'd be more understanding of him than I would of Rocco or Blake Fisher or Joe Walt? I've been more critical of them if they'd have made similar mistakes. Yes, there are. Sure. But that's the reality when you're making start two compared to start 20 is, you know, I'm going to, I'm still going to coach you up and correct those mistakes, but I'm not going to get as pissed about it if you're in start two compared to start 20. Uh, but man, I, I, I feel so much better about the, the interior line going into this off season than I did yep. two weeks ago because of those yep. two kids. Uh, I feel really great about Ashton Craig too. I mean, he, yeah, looks really good. Yeah, he does. Yeah. He's and really he's nice Ryan. Athlete. If you look at his body, He's going to get bigger and, and add a lot of strength. He's still got some of that young country boy type of stuff to him. He's going to yeah. keep get a lot stronger, man. A lot stronger. Looking forward to seeing him. Right. Eric O'Brien says, before Cam Williams, why has Notre Dame really struggled with top-tier wide receiver recruiting? I, I don't I, – I, we've, we've had this question asked before, and I don't necessarily accept the premise – Notre Dame has landed a bunch of highly ranked kids. The current class, Braylon James, was ranked in the top 100 by at least one service. Jaden Greathouse was ranked in the top 100 by at least one service. Um, I think it's been a development problem, not a recruiting problem. Yeah. Well, it's it's always funny because I actually – I have a buddy that literally said something similar to this of like, Notre Dame needs to go to the portal for wide receiver. I'm like, why? They have four stars everywhere, man. Like, there's literally not a four star on the depth chart at wide receiver. I – I don't, I don't accept it either, honestly, Eric. I mean, even guys that didn't necessarily pan out. Like, I mean, Jordan Johnson didn't pan out, right? But, like, he was a heavily pursued, high-caliber recruit, right? You would, you could argue that Kevin Austin didn't nearly hit his upside at the University of Notre Dame, but he still was a high-level recruit. I mean, it's always just a minute about can you get the most out of those guys, and I don't think that they've been able to as of, as of lately, right? So I think Notre Dame needs to develop the wide receiver position better if you can't get more out of Tobias Merriweather, Jaden Thomas, Deion Coles, if he comes back, Jaden Greathouse, um, Rico Flores, Braylon James, Caleb Smith, Cam Williams coming in with Logan Saldate and Michael Gilbert, then there's a coaching issue there, right? There's a development issue there. I just, I just listed every single player that is considered a four-star caliber recruit outside of Caleb Smith. I think Caleb Smith was a consensus three-star. Otherwise, Logan Saldate is considered a four-star. Caleb Williams is considered a five-star on the consensus on the industry ranking. Mikey Gilbert is a consensus four-star. Like you're talking about a lot of four-star players there, right? So I think that it is definitely all about that. I not all about. I think it is mostly about developments, and you need to develop that room a whole lot better, in my estimation. No doubt about it. All right, let's go to our next one. All right, that one is for Brian, I believe. That is all right. All right, this question is from Siggy13. Five years from now, with the coaching staff changes and controversies experienced this year, who do you think is in the best spot? Michigan, Michigan State, or Ohio State? I mean, I think it's Ohio State is in the best position for me, Siggy. I mean, look. Ohio State needs to figure something out as far as against Michigan right now, and they need to develop certain areas of their team better, but they are always going to have talents, right? From a recruiting perspective, they are still the power in the in the Midwest. There is no doubt about that. So whether it is Ryan Day or it's somebody else coming along the line, Ohio State's going to have a lot of talent, and they're going to be in a position where 
you are going to be able to compete for conference and national championships if you do the the work that you need to do on a day-to-day basis from a preparation perspective. I don't I don't envision Ohio State falling off anytime soon. I think that they are just it's going to be a question of is Ryan Day the guy long term to lead you into the promised land or is it somebody else eventually? But ultimately there's still a lot of talent on that team, man. I look you need to figure out some things in those big games. But the thing about Michigan is, is that I'm still not sold that in five years, Jim Harbaugh is the coach at Michigan. And we, I think we forget that before Jim Harbaugh, Michigan was not in a great spot, right? It wasn't in a great spot. And I still think that eventually the lack of recruiting on Michigan side, I know it's been better in 2024 than it was previously, but eventually that recruiting is going to, to hurt you a little bit, right? Being able to develop and be able to get acquire talent at a high level. And ultimately Jim Harbaugh is long-term at Michigan. I'm not sold that he will be there in three years, but better, better suited for five years. So I would, but I would still say Michigan is number two, just because they're so far ahead of where Michigan state is right now. Like I think Michigan state in a couple years, if they do the right things under Jonathan Smith, I think they have a pretty decently quick turnaround as far as in three to four years, I can see them being competitive in the big 10, but Michigan is starting at such a higher level, right? Even if Jim Harbaugh, let's say hypothetically leaves after this year, you're still going to be in a situation where the next coach coming in is still going to have a lot of the things that have made you successful. And you still are going to have the blueprint against Ohio state on the short term. So I think long-term I would still take Ohio state just because I think it's a little bit more sustainable depending on if there's a coaching change at some point, than it is at Michigan. I don't think that Michigan is incredibly sustainable because again, I mean, in between Lloyd Carr and Jim Harbaugh, there was a lot of at Michigan, right? Like it wasn't all good. There was a lot of bad, For the most part, Ohio State's been a very consistent football team for the duration of my lifetime. So Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, but I will say Michigan State is definitely on the up. It's just about, you know, how long is it going to take potentially? All right. Next question here we had from Beef Eater. What's up, Beef Eater? Says no for sale sign on on Mike Elko's yard yet as of morning school drop off. Does this put Riley Leonard in play for Notre Dame? I mean, I have no idea, Beefeater. I mean, I, I like we'll have, and I know that you're on the message board, obviously, at boards.outspectdown.com, but guys, we'll have a lot of intel as far as transfer portal targets moving forward for Notre Dame. And it really depends on, you know, what fit makes sense and ultimately what type of quarterback Notre Dame is, is pushing for, right? So, I mean... <laughs> If Riley Leonard hits the portal, if I was Notre Dame, would I give it a look? Yes. Am I necessarily saying though, if, if I was Notre Dame, I would hundred. Like if I am I saying that I for sure think Notre Dame will? I'm not saying that. But would I personally do my homework there? Yes. I think he's way too talented not to do your homework if you are Notre Dame, especially with what the position you're in. So, I, is he in play? I have no idea. Could he be? Possible. If I was the head coach at Notre Dame, would I at least give Riley Leonard a look? Yes. Does that mean necessarily I would pull the trigger and say, that's my guy 100%? I'm not saying that necessarily, but I would definitely give it a look. I think that you need to do your due diligence as a CEO of a program, as a head coach. You need to be able to do your homework there. So I think Notre Dame has a, uh, you know, we'll see if Notre Dame takes a shot there or not. But I mean, he, I'd be surprised if, Riley Leonard wasn't heavily pursued by a lot of different schools if he entered the portal. We'll see if he ultimately does, though, because as of today, Riley Leonard is not in the portal. And also, we do need to remember, this isn't the first coaching change that Riley Leonard has dealt with. I mean, he had David Cutcliffe as a true freshman, and then obviously Mike Elko came in. Maybe the next head coach comes in and just reaffirms everything for Riley Leonard. I mean, we have no idea of telling if that's going to happen or not. So we shall see. But he's definitely a player I would at least do my homework on if I was Notre Dame, for sure. All right, so we had, all right, we had, all right, we're going to get that one. We got that one already. All right, we answered that one as well, folks. I'm just working through a couple of these questions. All right, we had a question from number one and defense says, why didn't the offense play with more tempo outside of end of half drives? seem they were more efficient. I mean, we've talked about this a ton. I think there was a philosophy thing when you're talking about Notre Dame. And I think that there were times this year where the philosophy for Notre Dame was to 
to play smart, fundamental, and at a just overall a little bit of a slower pace because that is how they assume that the offensive st- offensive roster was constructed, right? You're a strong offensive line. You have a deep running back room. Let's work into those strengths. And I think that ultimately you can't win that way consistently, right? Like in today's game anyway, about 10, 15 years ago, you can win that way all day. And there might even be a year here and there where you can still do it. But I think for that sustainability that I always talk about, it's going to be about Notre Dame figuring it out next step to be a more balanced and well-operative offense. And that's not only from a running game, passing game perspective, that's also from a changing of pace perspective. I think that is like number one Notre Dame fan. Like Notre Dame was in a good spot offensively against Stanford in a lot of instances. And it was just like, all right, let's get up to the line. Like, let's move a little bit. I'm not asking for no huddle. I'm not asking for, you know, hyperactive, get up to the line, snap it as quick as possible. Like, I'm not asking for that. I'm asking when something's going good, keep that momentum and get guys super excited to be a part of this, right? I don't think that Notre Dame did enough of that this year, and I've talked about that a ton, right? So the tempo, the pace is the better way to phrase it for me. I think it does need to improve in certain aspects of it, but I think that hopefully there's an identity shift that happens at some point, right? Like I have no problem with slowing down the pace of an offense at times. I have no problem with working the pace of the offense up at times as well. I'm a big believer in, no, and this is any offense, you when you have momentum, you hold on to it. And that is when excitement is built, especially off of an offense. And I think that Notre Dame needs to do a better job of utilizing that to the best of their ability. A lot going on, man. Chris Tyree yeah. just announced he's going into the portal as well. So working on oh, that. Um, not overly surprised by that. Was hoping that he would change his mind. But uh, I just think he looked at how he was used this year and realized there's places he could go that are actually going to use him more. And uh, yeah. So not surprised by that. Jacob Sailor with the Super Chat on that. Appreciate that very much, man. Uh, Ryan, we just get last two, and then yep. we'll get out of here real quick. This one's for you from DJ McCowan. says, Jens finally escaped the five-sided prison. I didn't know what that meant. He said he worked at the Pentagon. So now he says that it makes sense. Uh, and got reassigned to New Jersey. Any good high school teams to go watch here? That's for you, oh, man. Uh, I mean, it depends what part of Jersey you're at. I mean, North Jersey has a ton of them. I mean, you can go to Bergen Catholic, Paramus Catholic. I mean, there is a St. Peter's is usually a good program. I haven't followed them as much the last couple years. I mean, there's a lot of good football teams in New Jersey, honestly. Like, New Jersey is quietly does not get enough credit as far as how good of high school football that they play typically. So, yeah, uh, Bergen Catholic, Paramus Catholic, like those types of schools. The Catholic schools up north are a lot of good, a lot of good football in Jersey. Are there are there any good Southern Jersey schools? Because like I'm trying to remember, I, St. I Joe's Ham- Hamilton is yeah. uh, I would consider a Southern. I'm trying school. to remember, I signed a kid named Jerome. Oh, was Jerome Beverly? Was a running back, and I can't remember. He was from a Central Jersey kid, and I honestly, for the life of me, cannot remember what high school he went to. But yeah, I yeah. did a little recruiting in Jersey, right back in the day. Um, but I was yeah. more central. Like we, the coaches, they got paid a lot more than I did. Are the ones that recruited the big yeah. time schools in Northern Jersey? They sent me like Central and Southern Jersey, you know, to recruit guys. Although I've been told from Jersey people, there is no such thing as Central Jersey. I'm simply looking no at it. From, Jersey, yeah. I'm looking at it from a, a geographic standpoint of where yeah. the high schools were. So yeah, sure, sure. Yep. And then uh, last one here is uh, from Gavin Harden. I'll read this one, Ryan. If you guys wouldn't mind to please pray for my family, specifically my younger brother who got diagnosed with stage three brain cancer earlier this week. Um, our uh, outlook is not favorable. Uh, Gavin, I'm, I'm incredibly sad to hear that man. And uh, if you could let me know what his, let us know what his name is. Uh, we would gladly, uh, gladly pray for him and for your whole family. Cause I know this, I can't imagine what you guys are going through. I, I truly cannot. And um, well, we will certainly, I do believe in the power of prayer, but as I said, a bunch of different times and we will, we will certainly be, be praying for for your brother and uh, would love to know his name and and so we can keep him in our prayers but do us a favor too right like um i believe prayer is a constant thing i don't think it's something you just do once and then you know i think it's something that you can and should constantly lift them up so please keep us posted on that please don't forget to ask us for that put it on the message board and and as you know at ib uh we'll always we'll all we care about that stuff just more than we care about what we think about you know a guy jumping in the transfer portal. So uh, certainly care about that. And um, 
we're glad that you felt the need to come talk to us about it and 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 reach out because you as you as you can see in the chat there's a lot of different people that are more than willing to lift up your brother and your family in prayer so we'll certainly do that and uh just wanted to kind of end it on that note ryan so you can take us out of here Yep. We appreciate everyone for joining us today on the Notre Dame football mailbag. Before you leave, if you could please hit that like button for us, subscribe to the podcast, hit that notification bell. Make sure you go to boards.irishbreakdown.com to sign up there. You can find all our free content at irishbreakdown.com. But again, make sure you hit the notification bell. You know when a show is coming for you this week. If you're listening to us on any of your favorite podcast platforms, five-star reviews are very much appreciated. It's Brian Driscoll. I'm Ryan Roberts. Again, we thank you so much for joining us today on the Irish Breakdown Podcast. Chapman, welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.